Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're talking about Season 4 of The Clone Wars, Episodes 7 through 10, where we follow the adventures of Jedi General Krill. And what happens when soldiers start to doubt if their general has their best interests at heart? All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back, my name is Matthew, and for all those who have already begun furiously writing emails in the 12 seconds that since I said it, let me correct myself, it is General <laughs> Krell that we're discussing today. Um, I'll delete joining my me email. As, He's not a shrimp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> joining me as always for the Star Wars, for the Clone Wars episodes are Riki and Sarah Hayashi. How are you both doing tonight? We're doing okay. I'm so, this, I, clone episodes are some of my favorites. Yeah. This is uh, one of my favorite arcs with um, one major plot twist that I disagree with, but the rest, I think, was just a fantastic episode. Before we jump into that, though, I want to just kind of take a one or two moments to discuss. There's some great news that was released this week as part of the High Republic uh, set of m- media that Star Wars is releasing. The first one of which is a novel, Light of the Jedi, that we just released in a review of, which is also on this podcast. But one of the next things they've announced is a web series that is going to be hosted by a woman named Christina Ariel. I, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. If I'm not, please correct me. I couldn't find any recordings, just a lot of text. She's, as far as we can tell, a, a great potential host. She's got a lot of love for Star Wars. She's also a black woman. And unfortunately, but unsurprisingly, some parts of the fandom have reacted very uh, negatively to this. She's also someone who has spoken pretty vocally about her feelings on BLM and things like that. Um, all things which are, you know, great to speak out about. Um, and unfortunately, there's been a lot of hate directed back towards her. I was very happy to see because in the past, Disney has not always stood up on these things. There's a clear statement from Star Wars in support of her and continuing to be in support of her. Um, and I just wanted to kind of take a moment to say that I, I don't think anyone who is of that kind of ilk is a listener to the show. We make pretty clear our feelings on that kind of toxicity. But I just think it's important to name that the story is happening and that it's not okay and that... Star Wars fans, a minority, but unfortunately a far too vocal one, have been far too, far too often have done a lot of pretty horrible harassment to actors of color who've been part of Star Wars, especially those who played uh, Finn and Rose. And so I'm really glad that this time it seems a lot of the fandom is responding back and saying, no, this is great. We want to see her. We want to hear what she has to say about Star Wars and you know, it, she's a great new addition to the to the universe. I think that's where most of us are coming from, and it's just important for us to speak up about it. So if you see those things trending on Twitter or Facebook or any of those things, please make sure to, you know, say a word about it. Because I just, this is not what Star Wars should be. Yeah, totally. And it's really frustrating, especially to see Star Wars, which, I mean, has its problems, right? I mean, like the first movie came out in the late 70s. Um, but, like... I don't know. My read on it mostly is, has been a sort of promotion of inclusivity and diversity. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to see that kind of misinterpretation and hate spewed back is really upsetting. All I really have to say is for people who say stuff like keep politics out of Star Wars <laughs> or whatever your fandom is, get your head out of the sand. Yes. The... The villains in Star Wars are called Stormtroopers. 
and the officers walk around, you know, in uniforms and, and jack boots. And there's very obvious fascist undertones. So, uh, like any science fiction, I feel, and, and Star Wars is science fiction. You know, people talk about whether it's fantasy or not, but but there, it's allegory. Yeah, Hundred emails we just got. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's allegory about the real world, um, set in different settings. You know, futuristic settings, and we have to take those lessons and really internalize them and think about them and talk about them. Uh, politics isn't everything. And if you don't think yeah. that it's in everything, then it's possible that you have uh, lived a privileged life where you haven't had to confront some of these issues. And it's important for you to examine that privilege. And I'm not saying that as a as an accusation, but I'm just saying that we we all live under different circumstances and we should be looking out for the most vulnerable among us. And, and this is an opportunity to do that and, and have discussions about those types of things. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it. You know, there's always been politics in it because there's always politics to some extent in everything. Like we live in a, a world where politics is a thing and things are either commenting on them or even by their silence, it's a kind of commentary. But Star Wars especially has political commentary. But the other part of this is that the presence of a black woman as a um, part of creating Star Wars content, that's not political in any way. And it shouldn't be. And this idea of forced diversity or ideas that like, the white man should be the default, and if you go away from that, that's somehow political. It just has no place in any fandom, especially in Star Wars. Uh, I keep thinking about quotes from Yoda about the way f fear and hate corrupts us, and I think that's exactly what happens here, that people who are, for whatever reason, so, want it, so afraid of the changes that are happening in our society, that we're being more aware of racism, that we're being more, being more aware of misogyny, that people are, are fearful of this, and they hate it, and they want to push back, and the whole point of Star Wars is that those feelings corrupt us. They turn us to the dark side. Don't let that happen. And so, I, like I said, I don't think many people on this who are fans of this podcast are, are anywhere close to doing that kind of toxicity. I just think this is a good time for the way we drown that out is that for every one of those tweets, there's 200 from us or 2,000 supporting this and talking about how awesome it is. So if you see that on your Twitter, if you see that on your Facebook, please speak up. So... That being said, let's now get back to uh, what we're actually talking about today, which is, I, I think we're all in kind of agreement, some really good episodes of The Clone Wars. I, okay. If you would have, <laughs> <No, maybe not. laughs> if you would have, like, said this to me, sort of the first watch through, I think I would have 100% agreed with you. But, so this is Riki and I's second watch through of The Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. We sort of binge them all, and now we're going back through for this podcast. Um and as soon as the first episode came on, I was like, oh, I remember this. I remember the latter half of the fourth episode, and now I hate this whole arc. And it's Fair. just like, I don't know. Um, I So I'm trying to, like, scrub away the Sarah who knows. Sorry, our, <laughs> our cat's, like, about to jump on a bar cart. So, yeah, there we go. It might make some fun noises. Um, but, like, trying to scrub away, like that last ending because the ending spoils it so much and it was i really did enjoy the first three and a half episodes when i watched them the first mm -hmm. time and wasn't just like angry waiting for this twist to come clones clones <laughs> clones are good this, so this is like i said earlier this is like a really chunky clones arc of episodes Definitely. because we get a whole lot of wrecks 
And we get a whole lot of like Rex's development as a leader and yeah. watching him grow. And Fives, too. We got a whole bunch of Fives. Fives comes back. He was one of those clones that defended Kamino and then was promoted to Arc Trooper. Um, and he's going to be very important for some of the later arcs. And we get a few other clones that get names. Um, Jesse is also someone who a uh, clone who comes back later. And uh, we get a few other that uh, I think Dogma, are... whose name is a little bit on the nose. Oh yeah. my gosh. I, well, I, I called him Bootlicker most of the time, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let me take a step back and just kind of do a quick plot summary. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> I, I think there, there's important things that go on, but happily, this is an ep- these are this is an arc where it's much more about the the discussions and the emotions and how we get there than I think the individual plot points. But the basic overall plot is the Republic is trying to fight to capture this world called Umbara that is very strategically important. And it's a dark shadow world. There's never any light there, which Nonsense. Okay, raises some questions about how <laughs> yeah. plants grow, but fair enough. Um, plants can grow in darkness. Um, and interestingly enough, for one of the only times we've seen it, our heroes, the clones, are not fighting against battle droids. They're fighting against the inhabitants of this planet. And I, I think that's an important point because it's not an easy fight they're having. And also, often we talk about how fighting the droids is an easy way to sort of remove any of the moral weight of combat. Here I think it's interesting because it, it adds some moral weight. But So anyway, they're fighting this hard fight. Anakin is leading them. It's the, it's the Anakin's battalion, the 501st, which has all the kind of characters we've gotten to know and love. And at some point, it is we find out that Anakin is needed to return immediately to Coruscant because Chancellor Palpatine uh, needs to meet with him. And so instead, this um, other Jedi named General Krell comes along. And he is the one who's supposed to be put in charge of the 501st and supposed to lead this, you know, the battle. Um, the battle is really going not very well, and the 501st has a very particular mission. They have to kind of break the siege to get to this capital city. What happens is the, the troops are doing their best to fight, but are, are realizing it's an impossible position and pulling back some. And we quickly realize that Krell is not having any of that, that he is just saying, no, no, we have to take it, we have to take it. And he's ordering them to just take incredible losses and sacrifice themselves and in order to, to win these battles. And it's sort of an ongoing theme of the clones pushing back against him and him refusing to listen. And then the clones, you know, more and more of the clones really starting to question this. One of the things that we see from Krell again and again is that he he really doesn't hold any respect for the clones. We've talked about how one of the things that corrupts the Jedi is this question of the moral worth of clones and are they soldiers or are they military equipment. He absolutely sees them as military equipment. Mm-hmm. He refuses to... Re- he doesn't refer to them by name. He only uses their number. He talks about them being destroyed instead of killed. He just doesn't respect them, and he just sees them as, like, you know, it's like, well, yeah, we'll just break five pieces of equipment to win the battle. Um, he also doesn't often have good strategy. And so there's a number of things that go back and forth until finally by the end, um, they're just like... they. A couple of them come up with an alternative plan to to win the important battle... Krell doesn't want to hear any part of it. And so two of them basically decide to commit an act of mutiny. Three and of them. Fives and who was the other one? It was Fives, Jesse, and Hardcase. Yes, thank you. Fives, Jesse. Oh, I'm sorry. Only two come back. Fives, Jesse, and Hardcase. Is that his name? Um, yeah, it is Hardcase. Okay. <laughs> um, and so they basically go to blow up this ship. And as part of it, 
Um, Hard Case has to sacrifice himself to do it, and it's kind of this beautiful moment with, with a lot of plot development between the three of them. But they get back, they've won this great part of the battle, and all Krell cares about is that they disobeyed his orders. And so he orders that they be executed. This is really when, for a lot of the troops, it's their breaking point. But for this one, uh, the one named Dogma, he just, he has to obey orders. He has to obey orders. And you, you can see even from Captain Rex, who for those who, don't, who haven't been following for long, he's kind of the stand-in for, like, he, he's really the, the clone we both best get to know. And one who, who becomes relevant for a lot of the other stories going forward. He's very much a generally a by-the-book guy, and he's been very supportive of Krell. He finds out that the these guys are doing this mutinous thing, and he doesn't support them, but he very clearly doesn't tell them no. And then when other people are going to knock them out, he stops them. So they get back. Krell wants to execute them. This guy named Dogma is in charge of that. He orders people to fire, but the troops refuse to fire. And it's this kind of beautiful moment. And again, we had this so many discussions back and forth between the clones about are we clones or are we men and do we get to make decisions for ourselves and how important is that for us to think for ourselves and then they go to confront general krell about this and then the episode ends (laughs) yes oh that's nice i'm I'm saying that's where i would like the episode to end what it actually turns out is that krell reveals that he's actually um been intentionally trying to sabotage things he arranged it so that one group of clones was fighting another group of clones by lying to both of them they all find out about this. Krell goes from what was a really fa- fascinating antagonist because you could believe that maybe he just had really started to fall into that corruption. Now just becomes a mustache-twirling villain with an actual maniacal laugh. He <laughs> maniacally laughs for like five minutes. He reveals that he wants to go join the Sith and Count Dooku and that he thinks the Separatists are going to win and that the Jedi are falling apart. And even there, I mean, his, there his motivations are interesting, but it's just a completely different character than what we saw. And then they defeat him, and it, it seems like he's going to be taken prisoner and held for trial, and then Dogma just flat out kills him. Um, yeah, well, there's... That... They, they they have him prisoner, and then um, the, like, Umbarans are going to come take back... It's an Umbaran airbase that they're staying at. The Umbarans are going to come retake the base uh and i think rex decides that they should kill krell because if they capture him he'll like fork over all the secrets immediately um and rex is trying to shoot him but can't and then yeah dogma yeah pulls the trigger exactly exactly yeah thank you for that clarification so here's the way i would suggest we talk about this let's because i do think that the first three and a half episodes if you ignore that last 15 minutes are really really good the last 15 minutes changes some of it but i think still a lot of the heart of it still stays let's talk about let's start by just talking about why we dislike that ending so much and then let's just talk about the rest of it because especially before you know that krell is going to go in this direction the the direction the story is going i think is some of the best storytelling we've had in clone wars yeah it's i think that's maybe why it's so disappointing that we get this like very like ooh twist ending that seems like such a cop out. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like the only other there's another sort of cop out very early on, which is I think you you alluded to it. They're coming to Ambara and they're like displacing the population that's there, but 
we can tell they're not a native population because the population, the Umbarans, all have like spacesuits on, even when they're just like on their own planet. And like, oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, right. like, the clones, like the Jedi, nobody else has to wear a spacesuit, but the Umbar, the Umbarans do. And if their helmets are breached, then they like suffocate to death. So they're they're clearly not like the native population that the clones are there uh, displacing. So I think that's mm-hmm. one sort of like. Not not like big cop out, but a thing that I noticed and was like, I kind of wish you would have just gone, gone full the full way and made them be ousting the native population. And then yeah, at the end, just this whole like "Mm, J.K. I'm a Dooku stan. Um, I was out to get you from the start. Evil laugh. What are you gonna do? Shoot me? Yeah. To me, it's exactly like when. Attack of the Clones is a bad movie in a lot of ways, but I thought what they set up of, for the most of that movie, I was like, okay, maybe the Separatists have a point. Maybe Count Dooku is this guy who hates the Republic, and maybe he's being, like, subtly corrupted, but he doesn't realize it. And interesting storytelling. And then we find out that he's just working with Sidious. You know, I'm just like, come on. So I think that's how I felt about it here. And I think what I liked for so much of these episodes was... We've been talking the whole series long about how the Jedi aren't supposed to be generals. That's actually commented on in the book I just mentioned, Light of the Jedi. And that being generals and being generals over these clones is really forcing them to question themselves and forcing them to make really hard decisions. And then it's pushing a lot of them into some of the, like, the, the dark side-y kind of feelings that they're really supposed to be avoiding. Um, you know, In terms of like, well, maybe we just have to throw away all these lives. And so I was really excited to see a Jedi who had maybe just gone that far, who was so dedicated to winning the fight, was so focused on that we have to win, and had never really embraced the idea, or maybe was just letting himself as an excuse buy into the idea that the clones aren't real people, they're they're military hardware, and so we can throw them away. And I just, I love the story that we get of a general who's kind of lost his way like that and what happens when the troops realize that and press back against him. And I think, as you kind of said, that's why it felt like a cop-out. It felt like they'd set up all of this moral grayness and complexity, but then they needed to give us the the mwahaha evil battle at the end. Yeah, just completely black and white at Mm -hmm. the end and kind of nonsensical because it's not even that he has actually betrayed the republic to the separatists like he has no contact with the separatists he just wants to join them and yeah. he's like if i do this maybe dooku will take me as his apprentice it's like i dooku might be like i don't know you <laughs> <laughs> don't don't dm me bro yeah i and it's not even it's not even like krell is a good guy from the beginning like he's a complete jerk right. from the moment that he he sets foot on the on um well, from the moment we see him, um, and like you're saying, he calls the clones by their number. Except there's a, a few times Rex does some stuff to like kind of gain his respect. Then he calls him Captain Rex. But as soon as mm-hmm. uh, he he does something sort of uh, counter to what Krell wants, it's back to like CT. What is it? Six right. nine five six seven. That's probably wrong. Don't email me. Um, also, don't enter that in uh, your your pin. <laughs> What? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Krell is constantly talking about how the clones are inferior. He's talking mm-hmm. down to them. 
he just shows them no respect. He has no interest in hearing their ideas or learning from their experience. Yeah, and I honestly, like, up until, yeah, the weird mustache twirling twist, you, you could have had me on board with, like, he's kind of got a point. Like, the clones are bought and sold as machines of war. Like, they are there to be disposable. That's why they're all clones of each other. This is literally their purpose. Um, and, like, I obviously don't agree with that on a, like, moral standpoint. But I wouldn't find it so extremely far-fetched to believe that this one Jedi, especially one who's sort of touted as this decorated war hero and seems to be taking this role of general very seriously, that this would be an idea that, that he would hold. And I would like, completely buy that. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, so what I would like to do then is say, we agree that these last 15 minutes are terrible, but the rest of it's so good. Let's just talk about it. And in terms of the story they give us before the heel turn. Um, what do we think? I think I've talked a lot about why I love this so much. What is it for you all? What, what is it that makes this story of Krell as the general who is just no longer respecting his troops and the way the clones respond to that so powerful or, or just so interesting for you? Well, I, I mean, it's contrast with Anakin, right? Like Anakin is the, the soldier's general. He's out there fighting side by side with them. And I think that's a very important contrast here that Krell, I believe, only ignites his lightsaber to first like threaten fives and then at the very end to fight all the clones. So he never actually, to my knowledge, fights against the enemy, the the Umbarans, yeah. and never, you know, fights alongside the clones. He's always in the background, um, messaging Rex and giving orders from, you know, the wherever wherever he's stationed yeah i think they even like fives even points that out to rex right like um rex is trying to say like oh you know uh general skywalker had some pretty out there plans but we went along with it let's just go along with this guy's plans um and fives points out like yeah but general skywalker is always right up on the front lines with us whereas krell is like always in the back always where it's safe so he's like never actually sticking his neck out on any of these plans and I think that's the first time we've ever seen that, right? Hasn't pretty much every Jedi who we've seen been... I mean, they're the generals, but they're also like... You know, it's kind of like they're the, the medieval generals, like, leading from the front. They're not, like, sitting back in the base, you know, taking all the orders. Yeah, most. I mean, most of them. Because how else are they going to flip their lightsabers around and look so cool? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know that they, they do have a very, like, proactive approach. Mm-hmm. I guess occasionally you'll get, like, an order from Obi-Wan as a uh, coming in... Um, but he's because he's like off fighting in a different area, presumably also right. at the front of the line. Yeah. One thing I did think was interesting. We, we often talk about the way that they sort of signal to us whether we should like or not like a character or a group of characters based on how they look. And up till now, most of the Jedi have looked very alien sometimes, but friendly. Like they're they're always sort of like interesting looking and fun looking and. They, they don't look sort of like the kind of thing that makes you think, is this a bad guy? You know, Krell looks like this lizard um like frog a frog, yeah. frog, yeah. I think, do you know what race he is supposed to be? Ooh, no. I can find out. Yep. <laughs> Google Wars. I guess like Plo Koon would be the only... I was going to say that. Yeah, because he's got the mask. Yeah. But um, like Plo Koon is, is 
like so gentle especially to ahsoka yeah. that we're like instantly like oh okay he's a good guy mm-hmm. yeah he, i mean a he's he he looks that the other thing is and i i can't say i ever noticed this but by going on tiktok i've spent a lot more time understanding uh the opinions of younger generation folk on star on the prequels the people who grew up with the prequels and apparently plo Koon is a there's a significant amount of plo Koon thirst what? So, really not kit not fisto? apparently as much as kit fisto kit fisto is apparently like the sexy Jedi. yeah yeah oh i understand that 100 percent. i mean the last one we covered the shirtless kit fisto swimming around yeah why didn't you just yeah, exactly. send kit fisto in from the start just yeah anyway but plo yeah. Koon, really interesting yeah but to get back to it, uh, Pong, Pong Krell is his full name. He's a basilisk male. Yeah, that's um, when I read basilisk? that. Basilisk? Yeah, I thought it's a basilisk. No, no. Yeah. One vowel <laughs> different. Yep. But yeah, he's he's very, 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 yeah, warlike. I guess, who is that other, who is the guy who was with Tarkin that um, oh. Ahsoka and Anakin went, well, Ahsoka wasn't supposed to go to, but ended up going Oh, Ev- Evan? Yeah, his name is like, it's like Greg the Jedi. Um, it's spelled weird, but yeah, it's just like a really normal sounding name. But I guess, Oh yeah, Evan Greel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he, Evan, I guess, looked a little... Well, he had one eye. He had one eye, he was like rough and tumble, but still like kind of short, he had big ears. But he was very, I guess, militaristic as well, right. like very hardened and sort of battle-ready. Um, now, I will say we have been introduced to the species before. Oh, because when they're not Jedi generals wanting to go and you know throw away best throw away their troops, um, they also run diners on Coruscant. Oh, what? <laughs> Obi Wan's friend, the guy who runs the diner on Coruscant, oh, yeah, that Obi Wan goes, and who also seems to know everything about cloners on planets that don't exist. Yeah. He was also of this race. Neat. So if you look familiar. Because the four yeah, so, arms helps you with like line cooking. Yeah, and mm-hmm. dual wielding very long lightsaber. Yeah, so I will say this about the, the last 15 minutes. The the animation and the fighting yeah. were excellent. <laughs> and Krell yeah. having four arms and two double-bladed like Darth Maul-style lightsabers was really fun to watch. Even though it's, there were some parts where I was like, physically, I don't think you could do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me a lot of Grievous. Um, yes. Yeah. Only instead of like four lightsabers, he just like glued two of them together. Well, they're actually called saber staffs. Saber and staffs. Okay. I think until now, um, Ventress also uses one. Oh yeah. But I don't think we've ever seen a um, a I, Jedi use one before, have we? I, I don't know. Maybe. But he's certainly the first one who is double wielded mm-hmm. two, with two staffs. Also true. Also true. Yeah, this is a, a high. Gr- Grievous does it every now and then, but certainly no other um, actual living person has done so. Does Grievous actually like stick the? No, Grievous just he has just has four, four individual like, yeah, sabers. He squeezed four individual. Okay, because I know it, I think it was in like was it Fallen Order where you could like stick two of your lightsabers together? Oh yeah, to, yeah. to make a staff. Hey, spoilers! Spoilers! I'm not up to that. Point oh, again. sorry. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> You didn't hear anything. I'm so bad at platformers. This was not the spoiler you were looking game, for. But that's a whole other question entirely. Gosh. Yeah. But yeah, so getting back to the, this part of the story, to me, one of my favorite moments is when he's once again saying, you know, oh, you're just clones, you're dispensable, you're, you're, you don't have any good plans. And Rex 
for him to buck authority like this is a pretty big deal, responds by saying, we're not clones, we're men. And I just thought that's kind of a, that just moment highlighted so much of the crux of what this is about is what's the humanity of the clones? Like, do they have the ability to stand up and say, no, this is not right. This general is abusing us. We we deserve better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's like the moral that gets at, at times a little heavy handed we laid down in this mm-hmm. this arc um but like the idea of what makes a good soldier isn't just mindlessly obeying orders right it's like internalizing and doing what you think is morally correct um and if you're given bad orders you, you disobey them right there's one wonderful moment where rex just says look i believe in duty and and laying down my life for victory when that's needed and Fives kind of pushes back on it. I think that's the first moment where Rex starts to really have some doubts about it. Um, but it, you know, I've never been in the military. I don't know what that's like. And I know that the one thing the military does is to work very hard to train you to not question orders. And to train to, that that if it's an order that you know is illegal, that you're supposed to question it. But otherwise, you're you're not supposed to sit there on the battlefield and go, hmm, my captain said I should do this. I wonder if that's a good idea. You need to be willing to instantaneously obey, even if in the moment you don't think it's the right thing to do. And I really like that they're showing that, because I imagine with the clones, it has to be even more so. They're literally raised from birth with this idea. It's not like you have 18 years of independence, and then the military starts putting it on you. And so I just I think one of my favorite parts of the episode is all the discussions among the clones, as some of them, like, you know, one by one, are starting to say, this isn't okay. And the others are kind of agreeing with them, but it just, it just doesn't fit with what they've always been taught. Yeah, and as much as I dislike Dogma as a character, I think he's the sort of, like, he's the ideal clone, right? He's the the epitome of, like, I have been engineered to be a soldier and to obey orders. And he obeys orders even, like, he is still loyal to Krell even after he finds out that Krell has ordered two different factions of clones to go attack each other for right. for funds. Um, he Even then, he's still like, no, we can't. We have to obey Krell. It's not until Krell literally is like, "I'm gonna go join the Sith." That he's like, "Wait, he dis- he's he's uh, he's betraying he's us." The traitor. What? Yeah. Um, but even like you see, you see guys like Top, who I don't think we've met before. Right? Was this our first introduction? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, who's who's seems to be sort of allied with. Um, dogma at the mm-hmm. beginning, but um, yeah, is will is especially after like fives is like don't execute us speech where he he basically says like look we're not droids we don't have to just mindlessly follow orders. Right. Um, and he specifically says you know this is wrong. Yeah, it's appealing to the conscience of the the because tr- it's other clones who are supposed to execute them. Yeah, well, it was a firing squad, which is so mm-hmm. weird. They go from like yeah you're going to be court martialed. And then probably end up being executed because you disobeyed orders to like, you know what, let's just skip the middleman. Get the firing squad. Were you kind of surprised to, to realize that the army of the Republic, the Grand Army of the Republic led by the Jedi has a death penalty? No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a military force. And I feel like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I've never been in military either, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to speculate too much. Yeah. If they were, like, executing Jedi like this, then I think I'd be very surprised. 
Right. But this idea, I know, okay, I've also been, um, it's kind of an old game, but I've been watching someone play through Detroit Become Human, which is all about, like, androids, uh, like, gaining emotions and autonomy and disobeying their orders. Um, and humans just think of them as machines. So maybe this is, like, infiltrating my opinion of this. But the idea that, like, having... There being a death penalty for the clones because they're, like, malfunctioning or, like, defective clones by disobeying orders and that sort of thing isn't super surprising to me. Whereas if they were to say, like, oh, this Jedi disobeyed orders, grab the firing squad, then I think it'd be really surprised. I guess that makes sense. And I guess... To me, the, a death penalty seems so in opposition to everything the, the Jedi stand for. And granted, that's partially because I myself am rabidly against the death penalty mm-hmm. and think that the only reason you do the death penalty is because of this desire for vengeance and retribution. That's supposed to be what the Jedi all stand against. But I do like your framing of it, that, that maybe this is part of the, the the continued idea of, like, that the in some ways the clones aren't just people who did a criminal act. It's that they are defective you know because i guess one of my thoughts is uh, this is obviously not gonna happen for treason but for a lot of lesser criminal offenses in the military i know one thing that happens is you get dishonorably discharged they throw you out of the army you can't i don't know if you can do that with a clone yeah there's no one has any idea what to do with a clone if they're not a good soldier or are after the war and that there's even the very end of the show they of the episodes they talk about that a little bit of that no one knows who are these people outside of being soldiers and in a war? Yeah, for sure. And like we've only ever seen one clone who's no longer a soldier, right? And, I mean, there's even a point where Krell, I think he, he's questioning Rex and asking if, like, Rex is defective um, because he didn't... He Rex ordered a retreat when they were in this basically right. suicide mission uh and yeah rex asks like are you defective clone why didn't you why are you disobeying my orders um and yeah rex i mean stands up for his decision as he should and even says like you know I'm, my my duty is to be loyal to you but also to m- maintain the safety of my men and make sure that you know they respect me and that they're safe and that's yeah. when that's when Krell calls him Captain Rex. And he even says, like, he's like, yeah, I guess, like, it makes sense that you want your men to, like, trust you. That seems like a good strategy. Okay, now go kill yourselves. Like, it's just so, (laughs) so weird that he seems to show respect to Rex for that decision and then Mm -hmm. be completely against, against it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so this idea of having... Of, of, of viewing the clones as a commodity and not as people, even though I think, like, a- Anakin, Obi-Wan, will still see them as, like, individuals. I think the system as a whole, where they're, like, going to the Senate and trying to talk about bargaining for new military spending budgets to buy more clones, right? Like, I think that right. system doesn't see clones as people. It's funny, I never really thought about this till now, but... You know, one of the things that my understanding, again, never been in the military, never, like, but even, like, I've seen this, obviously, in 8 million war movies and the like, but also just watching the experience of our military over the last 20 years and the wars we've fought. And, and, like, 
I feel like one of the most important things about humanizing the military in the eyes of everyone else and re- helping us remember the humanity of the military in needed ways is all the stories we get about, you know, the, the cute videos of the soldier who comes home to surprise their kid at their eighth birthday or the, the tearful reunion between the soldier and their sweetheart or, you know, whatever it is. And like that's I mean, it's such it's a trope in any kind of war movie, but it's it's something we've seen all the time over the last 20 years. Or just the stories of the people who are waiting at home, or the widows, or the, the, the grieving parents, or whoever it is, if, if their, their family member doesn't make it back, or whatever it is. Those things, I think, really help to, for the rest of the country, help remind us that this isn't just a nameless, faceless war that's happening, that these are real people with real lives. The clones don't have any sweethearts at home. There's no one who's writing letters to them. There's no one who they're writing letters to. It is a group of individuals who have absolutely no contact and no connections to anyone in the worlds they're fighting for. And, you know, I don't think that, I don't know if the, the, the writer sat down and really thought about that too much, but I think it's an interesting point of one more way of which the, the clones are kind of just not really fully people in the eyes of the Jedi and, and the people in the, in the Republic. Yeah, I think, like, it's it's becoming less and less true for the Jedi because they're interacting with them and they're becoming, mm-hmm. like, the, the people. But, yeah, like, the clones call each other brothers. Um, and, I, I mean, like, I don't think that's biologically accurate, but, like, they like they are each other's family and they're the only right. family that they really know. And, like, I don't think they feel this way about, like, is it, oh, gosh, is it the Kaminoans that made them? Or is it just they were made on Camino, yeah. their home planet? The the, Kamin- the Kaminoans are their cloners, and in in the show we haven't seen them ha- say have much to say about them. In the books that have referenced a couple times, the Republic Commando books, which are not canon, they're from Legends, but clearly a lot of the ideas from them has been brought into this. They really did not like the the Kaminoans, okay. and in other episodes of the Clone Wars, we've definitely seen the Kaminoans. 100% do not see these as living creatures. They see them as, like, we manufactured yeah. 100 guns for you. Mm-hmm. It's a product and right. a way for them to gain political power and profit, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly. One thing I wanted to bring up as well, and this again, you know, kind of let's ignore the last 15 minutes. There's a moment when Krell is talking to Obi-Wan, and it's right after Rex has really talked to Krell about you know, how bad things are. And, and this is one of the moments where Krell seems to just for a moment respect Rex and kind of maybe listening to this. And now Obi-Wan is telling them about other fights that are, are being lost. And Obi-Wan just basically tells Krell, like, your battalion is what the whole fight is, is hinging on. We know this is hard. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And I really took a lot away from that because part of what I saw was the pressure that Krell's under. And again, not that it justifies anything he's doing, but that if what we're if what we're seeing here is someone who is just so focused on winning the war that he's caring less and less and less about the humanity of the soldiers who are fighting with him, that moment to me really sets that up so well. Of you know, he he can't in his mind he can't stop and worry about the soldiers because if their battalion doesn't do what they have to do, everyone's going to die. But then that just gets ruined. Because yeah. he's losing right. on purpose. I, but but we can think like again, you know. <laughs> if we pretend the last fifteen minutes doesn't exist, there was no crystal skull. There is no yeah. Um, I was gonna say pretty in pink. 
is, is the movie that the last 15 minutes don't exist. Oh. Mm. Justice for Ducky. Justice yeah, for exactly. Ducky. I see. I've, yeah, uh, I, I was going to say, like, they talk about, but when, when Krell comes, they're like, oh, General Krell, he is a renowned war hero. He is really, really well decorated and really well known as this war hero. We should respect him. I think Rex even says that he's honored to be serving under him. And then, like, uh, either in the next, later in the arc, I think it's Fives who's like, do you know why he's got such a winning record? Uh, have you looked at his casualties? Like, he's got right. the most casualties of any general ever. So I think this idea that he's built this reputation of being a war hero is, is all on the backs of clones, right? Mm-hmm. Like, his right. status comes from just throwing clones at a problem until it goes away. Because to him, clones are just disposable. Yeah, so, all yeah. that matters is the W. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's like, interesting because going back to episodes we watched a couple a couple of uh, our viewings ago, remember the conversation where we saw at that point Captain Tarkin who becomes <laughs> Grand Morph Tarkin with Anakin, and he says to Anakin that he thinks the Jedi shouldn't be running the war because the Jedi aren't willing to do what's needed. Mm-hmm. And I kind of in that moment I was like, Tarkin would love Krell before Krell becomes a traitor, but like you know. I think Tarkin, that's exactly what Tarkin is talking about. Like, we need to win this war by not caring about the casualty rates. I think Tarkin would continue liking Krell. No. No? Because Tarkin's a racist. Oh, true. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing, too. He's dedicated to the Republic at this point. Yeah, but he continues being dedicated to the Republic after the whole Steve Palpatineery. Anyway. No, I I mean... Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying that Tarkin would support Krell even after Krell says that he's a separatist. Mm. No, I meant like if if Krell actually get did get to go join. Yeah. So Krell's group. whole whole plan is to lose intentionally and then use that as his bargaining chip to join Dooku and become his apprentice. And I'm saying like what he doesn't know is that what's coming, you know, the Empire under Emperor Palpatine is going to be a human supremacist organization, and there's right. not going to be a place for you four-armed frog Jedi, or Sith, even at that point. Mm-hmm. No, like he, point. he might u- utilize his skills, but he's not going to have an honored position. Right. No, it's definitely true. Yeah, and I think that's like... <laughs> yeah, because Krell is a really good... Well, quote-unquote good. Has a reputation <laughs> of being a good general... That makes him a bad Jedi, right? Like, I don't think you can yeah. be a great general and a great Jedi at the same time. And like, what even about Anakin? Yeah, no, I was going to say, even Anakin proves this, right? Because he's becoming a good general, and we know what happens to Anakin. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, he's a bad Jedi, but maybe he could have been a good post-Jedi. Sure, like, yeah. I was going to say something spoilery, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that in that regard, Krell and Anakin are at total opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how they relate to clones. That Anakin cares too much about them, Krell cares about them too little, and yet they both fall to the dark side. And I think that's kind of intentional, you know, that there's an element of that's the really delicate balance that the Jedi are having to walk and why this plan that Palpatine has put into place is so brilliant because it 
it puts them in that literal Don't. rock and hard place. Like <laughs> Don't give him that much credit. Palpatine called Krell and was like, hey, Krell, listen, this is what you have to do. No, I don't, I don't think he set up Krell, no, but I, I think he definitely, he, and granted, part of this is because I've been reading Darth Plagueis, which is, uh, <laughs> it is a novel in the canon, and it goes much more into Sidious's yeah. planning for all this. And, the plan. And goes much more, <laughs> yeah, goes much more. But I, I think there's pretty good evidence for it, even just in the movies and the show, that this was Palpatine, Sidious's plan all along, that putting the Jedi into this position would be a big part of their downfall. And so I just think, like, looking at Anakin and Krell as the two different sides of that is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Pal- I mean, Palpatine's definitely playing the long con here. Yeah. Like, no questions asked. Um, yeah. There's... Oh, shoot. There is something else I was going to say, and I forgot what it was. Never mind. I I, I want to, like, pull back the camera, I guess, and talk about how this arc for me at least, was a really good war arc um, mm-hmm. in terms of like how they, uh, not filmed, but drew and how they animated stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love the look of the planet. I don't understand why it's a dark planet, but the look of it with the glowing plants was cool and there's like a constant mist and darkness. Right. And it, I, I think at times there was a little bit too much of the pew-pew guns going on. But the Umbarans utilized several different vehicles. There was, um, they start off with the the artillery tanks, and then there's like the four-legged uh, crab tanks, and they have like the weird centipede things, and then the strange, the Scorpion fighters yeah. that they have to learn how to fly. Oh, those so there was just like a lot of interesting different technologies that we hadn't seen before. I really liked, yeah, so the bioluminescence of everything on the planet was super cool and like that's what you that's what exists at the bottom of the ocean where there is life and is no light so like that tracks what i really like is the like plant monster that when it (laughs) opens its mouth like light shoots out of it um i don't know i i thought that that was really funny but also reminded me a lot of those like fish that have the light bulb on their head yeah even though it's, it's clearly not like using that to lure people in but i was just like why why does light shine out of your mouth when you open it that's so weird <laughs> definitely but yeah all the plants were super cool the yeah. trees were really interesting and i i even liked it was very pew pewy but because the episode was so dark and there was that like misty quality the like gunfire looked really cool yeah but so here here i think the difference in the pew pewness from this to from like season one and mm. two is that I think the again I'm gonna say filming the filming was like much more in your face yeah and like in the clones faces mm-hmm. like you get close ups of the clones as they're being shot at rather than like more of the wide shots of just like everyone shooting at each other yeah or just like yeah. spaceships so so and... it felt more like i don't know like saving private ryan when they mm-hmm. storm the beaches of normandy mm-hmm. yeah to me yeah I, I think those are all really good points and i think i think you're right it, it, and you need it for this episode if this feels like the warfare in the first couple episodes it was often hard to feel the human cost of it or the mandalore whatever the the race is you know the <laughs> i think they're they're clones of humans the to feel that human cost of it was was hard to find. And I think you're right. The animation does so much of it. The better battle tactics, the fact that it's dark, the fact that it's close up. But also, I think it's the fact that nowhere on this planet 
do we ever hear the words Roger Roger? <laughs> oh, like no, 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 don't we? No, we, no, no. Well, it's well, not on the, the planet. Ship, yeah. That's true. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I said that. Yeah, there's one on moment the where they leave the planet, they go to a ship, and I, I wish they hadn't had that. But other than that, all this fighting that's so intense and so dark mm-hmm. is not against battle droids, and I think yeah. that's. I think by now they had realized that they had done so much to make the battle droids uh, an object of comedy that you really couldn't tell a serious war story with serious consequences when battle droids are having pratfalls and saying Roger Roger and being ridiculous. Like you, 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 you can't do the two things at the same time. I think they also had to reverse engineer this to have the conflict at the end of the two clone battalions mm-hmm. sh- shooting at each other, thinking that they were Umbarans dressed in clone trooper armor, mm. right? So they had to have an enemy that could do that. Right. And then, like, the darkness, too, kind of aids in that yeah. by, like, obscuring who your enemy is. Um but, yeah. but just also, like, there were multiple scenes where we see clone troopers go down and other ones try to help them. Like, oh, yeah. they're, they're not dead, they're injured, and then, like, we have to get, we have to help our wounded. And, and it, it was just, like, a much more intense uh, war episode in that sense. Yeah. Well, and we even see, like, at the end, uh, like, Krell stabs, like, two or three Jedi, like, straight through their bodies. Like, it is... We're not we're not sugarcoating this anymore. Like this yeah. is clones dying horribly. There's one mm. clone where it's like he's like screaming in pain, and then the one of the doctor clones, I guess, is like this will ease your pain and like stabs him with a syringe in the neck. Like it's yeah, we're we're getting real, and I totally agree that having like a Roger Roger on the other end of it would just feel so out of place. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because. I'm really glad they do that for these episodes. I think it really helps. I I don't think the 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 pathos of the clones as they realize they're just cannon fodder would have meant anything as much if we didn't feel like the the horrors of war that these episodes are showing us. It though also reminds me like if you are only allowed to show the horrors of war during episodes where you're talking about it. And then in other episodes, you can show wars as much more like sort of bright, shiny, you're up against ridiculous enemies, everything's going to be okay. It's a kid's show. I know we're not all going to have seven seasons of dark, gritty war. But it does kind of remind me that I think that it's funny. We talked earlier about politics and stuff. There's a very intentional choice that has political ramifications of how you depict war and how you depict violence in your media. And I'm really glad they went this route for these episodes I kind of wish they would just stay at least, not all the time, but but give us more of this, even when that's not the main point. And I think, like, as the seasons progress, like, we do get more of this this vibe. And I think it could also, it could be, like, the audience who started watching The Clone Wars at, like, 13 is growing up now. Yeah. Um, or they've just, like, gotten into this groove of storytelling. But yeah, I, I, I do, I like this form of war a bit better even though like i also do like my dorky droid episodes where <laughs> 3po and r2 go on wacky adventures um like having those balance. yeah but even in the like in the back in the background of that one there's still like clones on these like what what you you guys had a word for them the kind of mission that it was suicide mission no 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 no, no. the la- last episodes um like green not greenpeace but that's what i want to say Peace Corps? Oh, yeah, Peace Corps. Okay, (laughs) sorry. Um, Brain farting. 
Uh, right? And they're, like, complaining that the, this is what they're doing and treating the locals weird. There's still that, like, kind of grubby, we're in a war, like, texture over it. And then we can slap this, like, wacky 3PO R2-D2 adventures over top of that. Mm-hmm. I definitely hear that. Oh, we're coming up on an hour, so is there any other uh, last things folks want to mention about these episodes or things we didn't get to discuss? Let's talk Order 66. <laughs> yep. I because... saw you wrote that in the notes. <laughs> this this makes no sense whatsoever. So at the end of the episode, you know, the last 15 minutes we keep talking about, Rex finally convinces pretty much like the whole rest of the battalion, we got to go arrest Krell. They go up to his high tower office and I don't know, like maybe there's a dozen of them there and they surround him and they have like a talk and he reveals his evil plan and then he ignites his lightsabers and takes takes them all out and escapes, does a cool flip through the window, yeah. lands like 50 feet down, <laughs> takes more clones out. The whole, the rest of the battalion is out there like, there he is, get him. And he just like keeps taking them out. And, and so like. How how does Order 66 succeed so spectacularly? Like, yeah. I understand, like, some of them were taken by surprise. But other, like, not every Jedi would have been in close enough proximity of, like, clones with their back turned to them. And I just yeah. feel like, yeah, this is what a Jedi should do to a group of clones. Yeah, and I, I, I think this episode highlights it, but honestly, I think that's a inconsistency throughout the show, is that mm-hmm. the Jedi, the power of the Jedi is exactly what the plot requires in terms of when they are able to just utterly overpower any and all situations, and when 10 clones or 10 droids, you know, or something like that can overwhelm them. Yeah. And... Yeah, when they can, like, mind trick their well, way out of things. He, he, so, so Krell, when he escapes the office... He does like a full surround force push. Yeah. He, he pushes like every clone that has surrounded him outward into the walls at once. It's like, yeah, that seems like a really powerful yeah. ability. Yeah, he is extraordinarily powerful, but lacks the power to cut the tentacle off of a plant. <laughs> Except he like does at the end and then, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely unfortunate. Um, it's funny. I, recently I just rewatched, um, revenge of the sith and so i watched order 66 and and yeah like after watching so much of the clone wars where you just see these jedis as like demigods on a battlefield you know plo koon who we just were talking about you know he gets shot down because four clone pilots you know suddenly gang up on him how many times have we seen any of the pilots including plo koon you know take on a hundred droid fighters Mm -hmm. and you know until now we've seen that the droids and clones like fight each other kind of evenly. So it's not that I think the clones are better soldiers and better pilots, but not like a hundred times better. I, I believe like Kiati Mundi actually like recognizes that the clones turn on him and he ignites his lightsaber and is deflecting shots, but then there's like too many shots, even though it's like only like yeah. half a dozen clones. Yeah. I think there is also like Krell wants to kill the clones. Right? Whereas presumably like the rest of the jedi it's like your friends are turning on you it's like when you're when your friend is a zombie in the zombie movie and you don't shoot them 
because like oh it's my friend it's not yeah. a zombie i mean yoda yoda straight up decapitates two clones without a second thought well, never mind. And then friend Chewbacca <laughs> helps gone. him escape. <laughs> I, I like the idea, and maybe for some Jedi it's true, but but even just like, you still should be able to dodge all the shots or like block yeah. them all with your lightsaber. Anyway, yeah, that's so. what I'm saying, is that there, there are scenes in the Clone War cartoon where a Jedi like uses one arm in their lightsaber to just like deflect a dozen's worth of blaster bolts while like yawning with his other hand <laughs> like preparing a coffee yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so like defensively they seem to be invincible like when they focus on it but then like we had a couple droids kill jedi situations but that was like overwhelming right there was like one jedi and one padawan that yeah, got overwhelmed i, I, and, I think like, matthew's right it's kind of like plot. Well, yeah exactly the jedi <laughs> like we need this jedi to sacrifice himself for the plot yeah like oh I mean, no he's overwhelmed like even in um the the second movie attack of the clones you get the same thing where during that last huge battle between the clones and the geonosians and the battle droids and everything like there are some jedi who are just wiping people out by the hundreds and then others who like Django Fett are able to kill pretty easily you know or a couple of uh, I'm sure we're getting a whole bunch of emails from the Django Fett stands like yeah he's pretty <laughs> badass no argument but you know or that uh just you know the the floor of that arena is littered with the dead body of Jedi there yeah. are many who die so yeah I, and, I think it's, it, it, and I get it it's one of the in something like Star Wars, where you can establish that it's just this one person who has this crazy set of powers, you can sort of make it work. But, you know, it's kind of like once you get into, you know, all of the super friends. Like, you know, mm. when you make your superheroes have really these kind of unlimited powers and you never, like, sit down and say, like, here's what they can do, here's what they can't do, you're going to have inconsistencies. And I think it's one of the many things I think Revenge of the Sith didn't do well is that Order 66 doesn't land because everything they've shown us to that point about the Jedi makes it completely unbelievable. Yeah. That being said, I still teared up because it was still emotionally like the first time I watched it, I thought it was very emotionally powerful. And sure. then as I was and walking John out of the theater, Williams I was like, powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was walking out of the theater and I was like, hang on. Wait a second. Yeah, I I don't know. This I keep saying it. I I I was told, you know, I should watch the Clone Wars because it's going to make the prequels better. And I haven't seen the prequels in so long. But as we keep watching the Clone Wars, I kind of want to watch the prequels again. I mean, go ahead. (laughs) You'll be in a different room. (laughs) I think think it's worth it. I feel like the chemistry between this Anakin and this Padme is so much better that it helps me believe the feelings between the two of them in the third movie. Okay, see, I, that I, I is a like, terrifying sentence. I mean, the... I, you don't think of chem- I, I think they have very good chemistry. I think the the actors and the, the way they're portrayed, their relationship makes much more sense in the in the Clone Wars so far. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, be- I believe that entirely, and that scares me. But, yeah. I mean, I've seen the sand scene a bunch of times, so. Yeah, but you know, I also just think, like, a lot, politics, a lot of the politics, a lot of the conflict within the Jedi, the arguments between... Um, Mace Windu and Anakin in the movie, like to me, they land a lot more because mm. we've had all this backstory, because we've had all this context. 
Oh, well, I mean, it's kind of a tangent, but I don't I don't think we got this whole enough. This is a tangent. <laughs> I don't think we got enough Mace Anakin conflict in the cartoon. I agree with that. I would I... like to see more of that. We yeah, but more? I think like by okay, granted, as I just said, I know very like barely recall the movies, but um this the sense I get of Mace Window is that like he's kind of a jerk. Yes. Uh He's a lot holier than thou. He doesn't like Anakin at all, and he's just like, "I'm better than this kid. Why is this? Why is this kid here? And why is Yoda letting him get away with all this?" Yeah, and there's a huge element in Revenge of the Sith of I don't trust you, Anakin. Mm. I mean, I guess it cuts both ways. I mean, um, yeah, he's and, supposed to be the living embodiment of the Jedi who have become too arrogant and who have begun to think that they know best and anyone who challenges them is wrong. And they they don't have to be accountable to anybody else. Yeah, I mean that that tracks for for me in my mm-hmm. like read of Mace Window, and like I wanted to like him because I know he's based on Samuel L. Jackson and he has a purple lightsaber and that's just cool. But every time we see him in Clone Wars, I'm like, oh, Mace, you're just a jerk. Yeah. All right. Well, we are now very very deep in a tangent <laughs> land, and I think we'll have lots <laughs> to say about this as things go on. Um, but yeah, let's wrap it up now. Um, Sarah and Riki, again, as always, thank you so much for being a part of this. To our listeners, thank you so much. There's a... Actually, I was going to read an, uh, uh, a listener feedback, but I'm going to save that for the next episode. It's, it's <laughs> related to something from a while back, but they just listened to that episode, so it's, you know, kind of a... You're here when I, when, I read it, when I read it. The one thing I do want to say, though, is I'm so glad that people are finding this show. I keep hearing uh, from folks who... Hadn't been interested in the Clone Wars, but because of Mandalorian, because of the new content coming out, they want to know who Ahsoka is. They want to know who, what was happening with the clones and, and Anakin and all these different relationships and Anakin and Obi-Wan. And I'm so glad more people are finding the show. And I would really love your help in doing that. And the best thing you can do is just, if you like this podcast, tell a friend about it. Post on Twitter about it. Post on Facebook about it. Just grab one of the posts that we put up on the Ethical Panda uh, on Facebook or Twitter or just ethicalpanda.com, the website, post that on your own social media. Or the best thing you can do is write us a review. Uh, iTunes is the best way, but any review catcher that you do, just search for Star Wars Universe Podcast, write us a review, tell us what you think. Hopefully you can give us five stars, but if not, we're still glad to hear the, uh, hear the feedback. But especially if you really love this show, give us five stars. That puts us higher in the rankings, and so more people will find this show. So... It's a great way to help us out, but more than anything, just keep listening. Keep letting us know what you think. Agree, disagree, write into us. All the social media we just talked about, great way to find us. Would love to hear your thoughts. And thank you so much, and have a great day. I'm sad I didn't get to make an it's Umbra. It's coarse. It's coarse. I'm sad I didn't get to make a, like, Umbra, Umbria joke. I was trying to work one in the whole episode. Oh, yeah. Umbreon? Umbreon. Umbra. Penumbra. Anyway. <laughs>